Right now, if you will join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful, glorious day that you've given us. Lord, we can feel the coming of the March winds out there this morning, so we know spring is just around the corner. And Lord, we thank you for this change in seasons. We look forward to the new life. And Lord, we look forward to the time that we have here today to worship you, to study your word. Lord, we ask that you be with the Averett family as they go through this time of loss. Give them peace and comfort. And be with the paramedics and the emergency people at the hospitals and they get Stacy there and, and to be with Cecile as she looks after him. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask you to hear our worship as we lift it to you. And Lord, that we all have open hearts and open minds when your word is brought to us later. These things we ask in our precious son's name. Amen. Let's pray. God, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you open our minds and hearts, that as these scriptures are read and as a word is proclaimed, we might receive with joy those things which you have for us today. Amen. We are in Mark chapter 8. We are continuing to follow Jesus on his way to the cross. He is with his disciples. He's leading them. He's healing people, feeding people, discipling other people, teaching them, but always, always, always making his way to the cross. And we know what happens there. But in today we are in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Listen to what Jesus says. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God, as I dare to preach a word this morning, <clears throat> I pray that something might be found of use in what I say. Holy Spirit, flow through me. Amen. Um, when I was in high school, I uh, worked for Domino's, actually in college too, worked for Domino's for many years, driving, delivering pizzas. I had a friend that worked with me uh, at Domino's who was colorblind. You ever, have you ever met a colorblind person? That may not be the, the, the best term, 
colorblind because he could see colors. Uh, it wasn't that he couldn't see colors. It was just that they were different than the way I saw them. And I always thought it was fascinating. I would ask him, well, when you're delivering pizzas and you come to a traffic light, like how do you know what's red and what's green and what's yellow? And he said, oh, I had to memorize what is what on the thing so that I know when this light is lit up, that means go. And I just thought that was fascinating. Have you ever seen a, a person who is colorblind be able to see full color? It's pretty amazing. Um, let me show you this video clip. Now, this is, a, uh, this is a guy who has lived his whole life with colorblindness. Um, and his, for his birthday, his family gets them this special pair of glasses that changes everything. Just watch this. This is pretty cool. How does it look? Oh, that's weird. Look at the balloons. <laughs> Can you see with our eyes Now you have rose-colored glasses, baby. Before. Now you see with our eyes. Do you like the balloons? Turn around. What about the flowers on the house? <laughs> oh my goodness. Doesn't look like mud. <laughs> it looks like brighter mud. You know, I, 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 I can't imagine what that would be like to have an experience that you go your whole life having this experience. And maybe there are people around you telling you there is something different out there. The world actually looks different than the way you see it. And then all of a sudden, in, in, in a moment, to be able to see it in that way. You could see he didn't know what to do with his emotions. He's clapping like a little kid and he's crying and he's, he's, he's received this new outlook on life, completely changed everything. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw you all for a loop. Most of us sitting here today have three cones in our retinas. It's called trichromacy. It allows us to see... Uh, a spectrum of color uh, from red all the way to violet. It's the colors in a, in a rainbow, essentially. 
and everything in between from red to violet, people with three cones can see about one million different colors. So different shades of green, different shades of blue, different shades of violet, different shades of red, all in all about one million. Did you know there is a tiny fraction of people on the planet, mostly women, who have a fourth cone in their retinas? Tetrachromacy. If we can see one million colors, they can see 100 million colors, right? Now think about that for a second. We have gone our entire lives seeing a million different colors and thinking, how beautiful. I look out at the world and I can see the lush greens and the blue blues and how lovely it is. And for a tetrachrome, she would say to you, oh, you have no idea. You have no idea. Could you imagine? We can't imagine. There's no way to imagine. There's no frame of reference to imagine what it would be like to put on a set of glasses that increases us to a hundred million colors of a tetrachrome. We can't even fathom that. Folks, there are things that exist in this world that we just do not have the capabilities of sensing or perceiving. We know this to be true. We know there are visible parts of the spectrum of light and invisible parts because we found things like ultraviolet light. You cannot see it, but if you stay out in the sun long enough, it will burn you. That's ultraviolet light. We know that there are sounds that dogs can hear that we cannot hear. We know that there are certain things that you cannot smell. They have no odor to them, at least not one that we can detect as humans. There are things in the world that you cannot sense, but they are still there. And just because we cannot perceive them does not make them any less real. Folks, according to Jesus and to the Apostle Paul and countless other disciples and mystics throughout the ages, the kingdom of heaven is one of those things. The kingdom of heaven is one of those things. It is real, it is here, it is among us, it is all around us, it is within us. At least this is what Jesus says. And if we are to trust Jesus in his first public sermon in the Gospel of Mark, when this is exactly what he says, we have to believe that the kingdom of heaven really is here. And this is the thing that he would continue to say over and over and over to anyone who would listen. This is exactly what he taught his disciples to go out and preach. Look in the middle of Matthew when he sends his disciples out. This is what you are to say. The kingdom of heaven is drawn near. That's it. That is the gospel message according to Jesus. That is what he sends his disciples out to tell them. But can we see it? Can we feel it? Can we smell it? Can we hear it? Do we perceive of it? I can't, at least not all the time. I've had moments in my life in which something breaks open and I realize I'm in the midst of something else that's happening here. The birth of my children was one of those moments. Standing at the rim of the Grand Canyon was probably one of those moments. 
something is happening, but I don't really know what's going on here. But all the time, no. I just see the greens and blues that I see and perceive. But what if we could see it? And I don't mean see it like see it with your eyes, like you put on a pair of glasses and all of a sudden now you can see things that weren't there before. I'm not talking about seeing, I'm talking about perceiving it, perceiving it, which is different. Do you understand what I'm saying? What if we could perceive it? This is what we are exploring during this season of Lent, this possibility. Is it possible to perceive this hidden, invisible realm that Jesus cared so much about, trying to convince us that it was real, that it existed? And what we're looking at is, if we were to perceive it, what is involved in that? What is it going to cost me? What am I going to have to embrace or discard? What do others have to say about it? Folks who maybe have perceived it, what do they have to say? Last week, Jesus told us that the first step, before anything else, you may recall, before anything else, the first step, he says, is to be open-minded, which, unfortunately, we put in our Bibles as repent. Repent has a very narrow definition in our minds. Really, what he's saying is expand your thinking. Think outside the box. Be open-minded. And then he says, believe this good news. Believe. Be open-minded and believe. You see, belief, faith, trust, however you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, faith, even the tiniest amount, even the size of a mustard seed, is necessary for perceiving the kingdom. You see, I can hand you a pair of glasses and tell you there's more colors to see, but unless you believe me, you're not even going to put them on your face. You have to believe the possibility that something is there if you're going to take the next step. So then let's say you take Jesus at His word. Let's say you say, okay, Jesus, so there's some invisible kingdom that is all around us and within us that I can't perceive, and you're telling me to seek this kingdom above all else. Well, then what is the next step, Jesus? Really, there is only one step. <laughs> Remember, I called it the wayless way. Jesus says in our passage today, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What does that mean? What exactly does that mean to deny oneself, to take up a cross? This is coded language. I mean, this is, uh, we're reading this on this side of the cross, and so we know Jesus died on a cross. What? What are you saying here, Jesus? I'm not a psychologist, okay? So what I'm about to tell you is not professional uh, information. This is just from my studies. This is my theological interpretation. The self, to deny oneself, the self is what the Apostle Paul loved to call the sarks. That is a Greek word, sarks, S-A-R-X. Do you know how that's typically translated? in your English Bible? Flesh. And it's kind of weird, isn't it? Kind of weird because as soon as you hear that word, you start to think of uh, flesh and bone. But flesh is different from body. 
When Paul talks about the sarks, it's different than the soma. The soma is flesh and blood. The sarks is something different. It, it might be what modern psychologists would call the ego. The ego. It, it is your view of yourself, which has been constructed over many, many years based on your experiences, your upbringing, what other people have said about you. You've bought in a little bit here and there, and you've constructed an image of yourself, a mental interpretation of who you are in the world, and we all have one. You cannot operate without a sense of self. You have to have some sense that you are somebody, or you'll step in front of a moving train, right? Everybody has an ego. So my ego tells me I am a pastor, I am a father, a grandfather, a husband, uh, I am uh, probably a little overweight. Um, I, I notice that when I look in the mirror that I don't look as young as I used to look anymore, so I'm looking a little bit older. This is my mental image of myself, right? This, I don't like this very much right here. This is my ego. The ego flesh tells you to avoid harm. In fact, the flesh, the sarks, is super afraid of suffering and death. I can tell you that, okay? Um, we all have moments. You just go watch a horror movie, and your, your ego will start flaring up if it's the kind of thing that scares you. The flesh tells you that if something is pleasurable, then you probably should go get more of that. Right? I like Oreo cookies. Well, let's eat the whole bag. That's, that's the flesh. Uh, the flesh tells you that you are not good enough or that maybe you are doing better than most compared to other people. So you can go either way. Oh, I'm not good enough in this world. Oh, I saw so-and-so, and I'm much better than that. The flesh tells you that you are the center of all things. In fact, it, it, it pits you as the center. Um, the flesh tells me that I am the center, and as I look out, that is something other. You are someone else. You are someone else. This piano is something else. I am the center of this narrative from which I am looking out at everything else, and I'm making a quick judgment on everything that I see. Oh, that golf course is pretty. Oh, Dan looks nice today, dressed in black. Oh, so-and-so didn't give very much money in the offering plate today. You see? You see these quick judgments. But I'm the center of this. Everything that is being judged comes from a place of centering of Jimmy. It is the voice. The flesh is the voice inside of you that does most of the driving. And people who really are invested in the flesh, you know what we say about them? We say they're self-centered. Do you know anybody who's self-centered? Right? They just, like, that narrative is very strong within them. That is a person whose ego is a little bit out of control. The flesh isn't bad in and of itself. You might get that from Paul's readings. You know, when Paul talks about the flesh, it seems like, oh, this is a bad thing. But the Bible tells us that Jesus came in the flesh, in the sarks. John tells us that. He became sarks and dwelled among us. So we know it's not a bad thing. It's part of being human to have the flesh, to have sarks. But ultimately, it is not you. It is not your true identity. 
You see, when I say, oh, I don't like this very much, and I'm identifying myself with this, but this is not me. It is not my true identity. And so Jesus says, in order to find your true identity, you've got to put your flesh in its proper place. You've got to tell the flesh no sometimes. You've got to choose your method of ego death and start killing it, or at least wounding it until it's no longer in control. You see, as Jesus makes His way toward Jerusalem to give His physical life on a physical cross, He urges us, if we would follow Him, to choose our own cross or our own method of flesh-killing execution and then follow Him for the next phase. You see, like seeing a world with a hundred million colors, once the flesh is no longer in the driver's seat, your true self begins to appear, and you never knew it was there. I've been walking around looking at a million colors. I didn't know there was a hundred million available. There's probably more. The true self begins to appear, and Jesus says this in His Jesus way. He says, you know, if you lose your life because of me and because of the gospel message, guess what? You'll find a new one waiting for you. If you're willing to give up that life, there's a brand new life waiting for you that you never knew you had, and it will blow your mind. Speaking of mind, this uh, intentional denial of self, this inward battle, so to speak, is primarily fought in the mind. And we know this because Jesus talks about the mind a lot. We've already talked about how He came out of the gate saying, repent, change your mind, open your mind. But notice when Peter, who takes Jesus aside and says, quit talking about all this death stuff. You're talking about going to Jerusalem and dying. You need to stop it. By the way, that's Peter's ego. That's his flesh rearing up because he doesn't like death. The ego doesn't like death. It doesn't like suffering. It doesn't like to look at it. It doesn't like to talk about it. It's the reason that we, we, when people are at the end of their life, we tend to put them away in hidden places. We don't, we don't want to think about that. That's the flesh. The flesh does not want to think about death. So Peter's, Peter's ego is rearing up, and he pulls Jesus aside. He says, hey, quit talking like this, man. You're the Messiah. But only good things to come. And what does Jesus say? He says, Peter, your mind is dwelling on human things, not on divine things. See, mind, mind. Your mind is, is dwelling on human things rather than divine. And the mind that dwells in the flesh will never, ever be satisfied. It will always be afraid. It will always be selfish. It will always grasp and try to hold on. It will always try to get more because the flesh is all about preserving self. That is what it's designed to do. But a mind that begins to tell that part of you, no, 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 and begins to give itself over to divine things, guess what? You find that eternal life was always there. It was always there. You're fighting for something that is yours freely. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us. 
And so I thought what I might do is leave you with the words of Paul. Now, Paul, I think, I, I think Paul perceived the kingdom. I think it hit him smack dab in the head on the road to Damascus. And I think that it continued to kind of pop in and out of his life. It was a center, it became his new center. Instead of Paul as the center, the kingdom became the new center. Christ became the new center, right? And so he's, he's in a jail cell in Rome. He is writing a letter to a church that he founded in Philippi. And he's telling them in the letter, look, I don't know if I'm going to get out of here or not. I hope that I will get out of here and I get to come see you, but it's looking pretty dark, pretty dim. And many, many people think that this might have been Paul's last letter. Now, we know that Paul was executed in Rome. He was beheaded, right? We know that. We know that from history. So if this is his last letter, this is what he wants to say to the Philippians. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, fill your minds with beauty and truth. Meditate on whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is virtuous and praiseworthy. Think about these things. Keep to the script. Whatever you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, do it, and the God of peace will walk with you. You see, Paul's last concerns were the same concerns of Jesus. Switch your thinking and you will find a treasure house that is much bigger and grander than you ever could have imagined. But it's going to take some killing. It's going to take some self-denial. It's going to take up picking up your own cross and following Jesus. Friends, as we continue this Lenten walk, I want to see that kingdom. I hope that you do too. I certainly want the God of peace to walk with me, and I want to know it day in and day out. So that no matter what's going on in my life, I feel this crazy sense of peace because I can see a hundred million colors now. And I realize the million that I used to see is nothing. Nothing compared to what we have available to us. Let's pray. God, this is tough stuff because if all I know is the flesh and I've always served the flesh when one Oreo is great why not the whole bag and yet I want to believe Jesus that there is more that there is some kind of brilliance some kind of bliss some kind of palette of coloring that far exceeds my wildest imaginations and if you're telling me that I've got to say no to my flesh sometimes, I want the strength to be able to do that. You've handed me a pair of glasses. I pray that I would put them on. And I pray that for everybody else here too. Because we want to be a changed church. We don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to, we don't want to act like we know what we're talking about. We want to actually experience it. And we know that your Holy Spirit is there ready to crack us wide open if we'll take the tiniest step in that direction.
So help us this Lent to find small ways to begin to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. We are giving you consent right now, Lord. We're giving you consent. Do what you need to do in us, through us. And then give us a passion for the world to go out and tell them it's really, really true. I've seen it. It's really, really true. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our benediction today comes from a man by the name of Steve Gamas Holmes, who wrote this and posted it on his website. Abandon the illusion you are a self-contained individual. Be a part of this wounded world and find yourself with Christ. Set aside your own desires. Give yourself fully for others. Be the hands and heart of Jesus. Renounce self-protection. Accept your brokenness and reach out for love. Let go of your own plans. Join in the healing of the world. You will not be alone. Follow your soul, not your ego. Follow it right into people's suffering. Follow it right into the heart of God. Pour yourself out. Let the world pour in. And then you are one with the beloved. May the God of peace walk with you as you attempt to do that this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace.